All right, all right. So we have been going through um, our first ser- sermon series here at uh, Rooted, and uh, it's called Kingship, which is living out the attributes of Christ Jesus. So last week we looked at um, the first attribute, which was relationship through true fellowship from 1 John chapter 1. We talked about how Christ exemplifies the truest relationships anyone can ever have by living authentically together in community with one another, um, spurring each other on to live in love focused on Christ Jesus. So tonight we will be looking at the second attribute of Christ, which is forgiveness. So tonight's um, sermonette is called Harnessing Forgiveness. I'll go with the uh, next line. So this is the first verse we're going to be looking at, part of the first verse um, that Brandon read for us. So forgiveness is probably one of the easiest characteristics of Christ to speak about. If you've been to church, you probably heard the word forgiveness, and a lot of people like to throw it around. If you're part of any kind of religion, no person, no matter who they are or what they believe, can get behind the concept of forgive, forgiveness. But when we pull back the, the, the curtain of the reality of our own lives and we're real with ourselves about who we are, it's probably one of the hardest things to do. Asking someone for forgiveness, forgiving others, and even forgiving ourselves can often feel um, unattainable or even painful, like you're going to the dentist to get your teeth drilled in. Happened to me a couple times. Um, But I want to share something with you. Um, I'll never forget the first time I um, personally understood forgiveness um, in a deep way. Probably one of the hardest ways. Although how painful it was, um, it laid a foundation for me to truly understand the depths of my sin and understand who Christ was. I actually came to um, the Lord through this experiences, which I'm just about to tell you about. So in 2010, I was a college freshman, very naive, um, <laughs> as most college freshmen are. Um, and the relationship I was in was deteriorating right in front of my eyes. Started relying on other people for comfort from this relationship and uh, being cheated on in high school. Um, I knew what that was like and how that felt. Um, so instead of creating healthy boundaries, um, between me and this other person that I was relying on, who was not my girlfriend or my ex-girlfriend at the time, um, I crossed those boundaries. And before I knew, um, I became the man who I boasted that I'd, I'd never become. And the gut wrenching reality of this was that not only did I, I cheat on my, my girlfriend at the time, but at the time, her mom had just recently found out um, that her, her husband, so my ex-dad, had been cheating on her for five years um, behind her back and was totally unrepentant about that. So um, a week later, I drove from my hometown in Pennsylvania, 119 miles to a small town um, in New York State to tell her face-to-face uh, what I had, had done and um, that I was broken up about what I had done. 
And uh, after coming right out and telling her when I, I had arrived, what I'd done, um, we kind of cried together for, for a moment. Um, and when the shock kind of set in um, to what had actually had happened, um, after cursing me out, which is totally understandable, um, I'll never forget what, what she said. Um, she said, I will, I will never forget what you have done. But as of this moment, I forgive you. And I need to let go. Which to me was totally astonishing. Um, she said, you know, my mom um, has already forgiven my dad. And she said, Christ has forgiven me for everything I've done. So I'll never forget, but I have to forgive you. Which blew my mind. Um, I remember driving away, um, seeing her, uh, staring at the window as her, her tears came down her face. I don't actually remember driving home that night. I was such a mess. Um, the whole week, I didn't shower. Uh, I, didn't, I had trouble eating. Um, and I finally realized the weight of my sin and who I truly could be without the Lord. I wasn't a believer, but this is how I came to know Christ. And I remember a few days later, my dad um, texting me, um, and he said, he said something important. He said, Karis, it's not what you've done that matters. It's about what you do now with this that, that truly matters. It's not what defines you, but whom. Friends, your past does not define you. You once, whoever you were before Christ does not define you. Your sin does not define you. Our sin does not define us. But ultimately, we are defined in the finishing work of Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a perfect sacrifice for all who believe in. And we have been forgiven. So with our text tonight, Psalm 103, 10 through 12 says this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repays us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So David, King David, most of you guys know King David. He was the writer of the Psalms, most of the Psalms here. And he's recognizing his sins and humanity's sins deserve much greater of a judgment and discipline than the people and himself received in verse 10. Verse 10 reads, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repays us according to our iniquities. Personally, if you studied or you have looked at King David's life, he truly knew the slow and abounding grace and the mercy of God from an adulterous man who murdered Uriah the Hittite, a man who was bravely fighting for King David. He was fighting in his army for Israel and for King David. And David was trying to cover up his sin with his wife Bathsheba. She had become pregnant, so David tells his commander Joab to send Uriah in the battle where it is most fiercest, and he retreats his men. So Uriah gets slaughtered in cold blood. 
In 2 Samuel 12, if you know anything about Nathan the prophet, Nathan the prophet comes to King David and tells him a story about a rich man who had many lambs, and he steals this poor man's only lamb. And if you remember in the story, David's reply is that this man deserves to die. Nathan astounds David with the words, you are that man. As David heard the utterance of Nathan's accusal of his sin, he declares to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 2 Samuel 12, 13 says, Nathan replied to David, Yes, and the Lord has forgiven you of your sin. You are not going to die. So David is forgiven here, but the consequences of what he did still remain. Just like in today's time, if you murder someone, the consequences could very well mean death or jail time. But here, David is forgiven and spared his life. However, whatever follows is the consequences of his sin. And this is the true thing about our sin. Sin doesn't always solely hurt us, but it hurts others and it hurts the heart of God. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, sin grieves the Holy Spirit. But the sin itself also affects, the effects of sin with Satan. Satan wants to hurt as many people as possible. So David's consequences for sin here was losing his son. 2 Samuel 12.14 says, but because by doing this, You have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. The penalty for adultery and murder is death in the Old Testament. And David here, because of the Old Testament, deserves to die for his wrongs. But Nathan makes it very clear here that his sin is taken away. And the death of this child is is a painful consequence of David's sin, but is not a punishment for his sin, as David still has his life. The consequences of David's sin was great, not affecting just himself, but Bathsheba and his son's own life. This this has to be a life-altering and crushing at the same time. And this sin in David's life, however, brought repentance If you know anything about David, he was a man after God's own heart, knowing the weight and understanding the weight of his sin. Admitting our sin and asking forgiveness is really only half the equation because repentance is the other half. And David shows us this in the Psalms. So true repentance along with David's reckless abandonment and pursuit of God's holy word and the pure love of God is why God said David was a man after God's own heart. We see this in 1 Samuel 13, 14. It says, but now your kingdom shall continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, King Saul, the first king of Israel. And this, the first king of Israel here, Saul, lost his kingdom because of his pride, because of his disobedience and his unrepentant heart. David, in comparison, is a hot mess of a murderer, an adulterer of a man. True 
completely repentant in light of the forgiveness of God, despite the consequences, because he knew has, his sin had caused it. So David makes his, his repentance very clear here. When David writes in Psalm 51 two, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Furthermore, in the rest of Psalm 103, 11 through 12, which we'll look at right now, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David laments that his sin that we just talked about was so heinous, so heinous, just like all our sin, that God's love is so deep and wide that his love, his forgiveness continues on for forever. If you ever looked at a map, I'm not a big map guy. I usually just use my GPS on my phone. Anyone else with me? Um, but if you ever look at a map directionally, east, true east and true west never meet on a map. So it doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what your past is. You cannot and will not be able to outsin the cross of Jesus Christ. And that your past, present, and future sins, Christ died for. Which is crazy to think about. It's retroactive salvation. It's what Christ has done for people in the past, present, and future. So, it's already been paid for. If you think about our sins, Christ has already died for them. The question is, and the question I think for, for all of us to really think about is, are we truly repentant from our sin? All right, are, we, are we fighting our sin? Do we kind of just lack so daisical about it? Do we, have a, do we have a battle plan? It's like going up to, to war against a tank with a, a super soaker, <laughs> right? You're going to lose every time. So here, David doesn't just weep over his sin. But he understands that even, even a offering, right? An offering can't even cover his sins, which is the Old Testament way for paying for sins. He says, my sin is so heinous. It's so terrible that nothing can take my sin. But we find out that God takes his sin away and that we see David, who's in the line, in the promised line of Jesus, the promised Messiah, comes and takes everyone's sin away. So the question now is, we blindly admit that we are in sin, right? Or are we fighting our sin? Are we weeping over our sin? If we have no regard for sin, we do not understand the grace of God. We don't understand the East and the West forgiveness of God and his perfect blood sacrifice, which was spilled for every single one of us. So 
This much is true, however. I'm sure that some of these things you guys can, that we can relate to um, with King David, we might not all be adulterers, right? <laughs> Maybe some of us, right? Or murderers, right? Um, but one thing that we, we can relate to, David, is that we're all screw-ups, right? Every single one of us. Right, like even the disciples. If you think about it, he didn't pick people with theologian degree, like with theologian. He didn't pick people who had a background in the Bible. Right, he picked tax collectors. He picked fishermen. He didn't pick people in seminary. Right, he picked people that would make an impact on the world around. So, when we look at this, we find out in the heart of Christ when it comes to forgiveness that what Christ does is he flips what people think they know about forgiveness on its head. And it's what Jesus does. It's our culture today even to instinctly act in revenge, right? And give back someone or even more what they have done against us. And Jesus says, flip it. What he says in Matthew 5, 38, 39, he says, You've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek as well. Jesus is saying here we should patiently bear all insults and offenses that come our way and resist and do not resist an evil person, meaning we meet our enemy where they are. And that we're understanding and we're forgiving instead of escalating those things. I'm terrible at that. Absolutely terrible at that. Because usually I want to get revenge. Instead, here in this passage, we are called for God to defend us. To not plead our case but to turn the other cheek. In biblical law, when someone strikes you on the cheek with the back of the hand, it was a severe insult punishable by a heavy fine. So it's not something that was usually heard of. So here he doesn't mean a physical, um, he doesn't use it as an example to stand and just get slapped from someone and let someone continually push you down. But it does mean that we have to bear these offenses for Christ Jesus. We need to be different than the world. And this is a start. We see this being lived out and how Jesus did things. He forgave others when people called Jesus a drunk, a glutton, an illegitimate child, a blasphemer, a madman. These are many of the things that people called Jesus. And yet, Jesus loved on these people. Jesus loved on these people. To live in the kingship of Jesus is, as William Barclay says this, the true Christian has learned to resent no insult and seek no retaliation for no slight. Forgiveness is not always letting someone insult you and standing down. It's letting those insults go and not letting anger and bitterness abound in your life and giving them to the Lord, knowing that you have already been forgiven and you have dished out your own insults too. You may even need to create boundaries between you and that person before you even welcome them back into your life. But forgiving that person 
is truly applying love towards that person when your flesh and my flesh truly have no, no power to do it. And we're screaming out for God, I can't forgive this person. My pain is too deep. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I'm still growing in this. And to let the Lord work in us through the Holy Spirit and have patience to even let that happen. It's hard. It's a hard thing. So one thing here Jesus does is he connects forgiveness and love. Those things are connected. Jesus said love was loving one another as he loved us. And he explained it by saying that we are his disciples if we love one another. So to get back to loving one another, we need to start with forgiveness. Friends, forgiving others and being forgiven by someone, they both require a change of heart. Forgiving others and being forgiven by someone require a change of heart. They both do. So first, to, give, to forgive another one means to put away your angerness, your bitterness, your rage, your hate towards that person, no matter how deep your pain goes towards that person. Ephesians 4.31.32 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. So when you forgive, the heart change here is that you will, you're laying aside your pain, your anger, your frustration, and the image of you getting back at that person or however you play that out in your head, maybe like a horror movie of that person doing it over and over again or almost like an instant replay from ESPN where it just goes on and on and on and you're there and you have to ask the Lord to intervene because you yourself, you can't do it. We can't do it. So we let the Lord do the work to change our heart, to give us a new desire, to give us a heart, not of stone, but a heart of flesh, one that understands and hears the calling of the Holy Spirit, that follows his desires. Something that we should pray is, Lord, make me into the person you want me to be instead of the person I want to be. Letting the Holy Spirit change us from the inside. So this requires us leaving it at the foot of the cross. You can't carry this bitter hate anymore, this anguish, because it's killing us from the inside. And what we do is we wear this pain, this bitterness, this every time we see that person, every time we think about this person, how can they do that to me? How arrogant can they be? She always thinks she's right. He's always ruining my life. They're destroying my family. They're destroying my church. I don't care, frankly, what happens to this person. These are things that we can think about. These are things. When bitterness crawls into our hearts, we wear them like a harness. When we continue to give in to these wounds of bitterness... And anger is exposed and we anguish over this ripped wound. 
over and over and over again. We rip the band-aid off every time. And this is why Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 10 when he says, Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is an action. We are asking God to change our hearts. And this heart change says, I'm willing to give this up to follow Christ's kingship. His kingship in my life. And it's much harder to do than just saying it. I'm willing to actively put effort into controlling where my mind goes. I nail that to the cross. And when my pain gets too real, I give it up and I lay before the creator of the universe to say, I can't do it anymore. When we don't forgive, it's like a harness we wear. So I went to, I went sky hiding. Um, that's not me. He's cooler than me, clearly. Um, but I went skydiving for my 26th birthday. It was probably the best thing I've ever done. Um, just to say this, the, the harness they put on me was the most restrictive thing I've ever worn in my life. Um, and if you've ever rock climbed or if you skydived, what happens is when you climb up the rock face, the rope pulls your body up. And what happens, there's the pressure of the wind resistance if you're skydiving. But if you're rock climbing, your body pushes up against the harness. And that resistance and weight is now on your body every step of the way. The harness becomes tighter against your body. And every time we hold on to our bitterness and the burdens and the grudges, which we have because we're we're angry and we're bitter against someone, that harness gets even tighter. And we don't even know that it's destroying our lives. It's destroying our lives and it's hurting the ones that we love. We are called as Christians to take that harness off. To let go and let God deal with our pain and our hurt. Isaiah says this. I love this verse. God is close to the brokenhearted and will bind up our wounds. And what we do is we like to medicate. Right? We we like to medicate instead of going to the real physician. We try to hang out with other people. We try to do many other things to not think about what we're going through instead of going to God. So many times we go to the physical and the emotional when really we're spiritual, spiritually dead inside. Friends, Christ renews. Christ changes. Christ has won the battle for us. Christ is the definition of forgiveness. Secondly, asking to be forgiven or asking someone forgiveness takes a change of a heart too. Because your, your, your pride, our pride wells up in us and we start to point the finger at someone else instead of looking at ourselves. And this is why Matthew 7, 3, 5 says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in yours. How can you say to your brother, let the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will clearly see the other person in the other person's eyes. So many times we like to play the victim and we like to point out the sawdust in someone else's eye when we have a four by four sticking out of our own eye, right? 
bro, you got a piece of sawdust in your eye, right? Like, take the four by four or the bar that's sticking out yours eye first. None of us ultimately can play God for one another. Look at yourself. Don't point to your spouse, right? And say, look at what you're doing to me. Look at yourself, right? I'm not married. I'll get there. I'm sure I'll be doing that at some point in my life, right? Like, look at that person. We play the victim so many times. We got to stop blame shifting and look on what we need to do. We got to look in the mirror and look at ourselves for really who we are. So to close, the same X, which I I told you about um, in 2013, I wrote her a letter and she said this. She said to me, I was very vulnerable after everything that happened back then with you and my dad, shaking my trust for years in ways I didn't even understand were happening. But I thank God for what happened and all these things and the lessons that I learned about myself and and who I have become. And she closed with this. She said, your sister in Christ, your sister in Christ. And that forgiveness that was there from, from day one, even after what I did, was a continued reminder for me from when we sin against one another. At the end of the day, we are family in Christ. No matter what it is, we are family in Christ. We are the body of Christ, laying aside all our pain and our hurt. So when I think about what I put her through and the scars that I carry from what I did, I think about the change of heart that God brought us through. And I think, I, I think about David. Right? I think about a man after God's own heart and his repentance. I think about Peter who denied Jesus three times. Not once, not twice, but three times to his face. And yet Jesus here forgives his portrayal, not only welcoming him back into relationship with him, but making him a leader of the disciples, a spiritual leader. He says, come, feed my lambs, Peter. He says it three times. Three times. Three times. Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And I think about Paul. Right? Who was formerly Saul, who was persecuting Christians and murdering them and bringing them before the courts. And yet his life was changed by Jesus. His very identity was changed from Saul to Paul. And it was changed because of the Spirit of the Lord was working through him and among him. All because he was forgiven, his past was forgiven. It does not define who he was. Your your past does not define who you are. Christ defines us, who we really are, because we are forgiven. We're forgiven. And finally, I think about the good news of the gospel. I think about Christ Jesus and the debt of my sin, my personal sin, which I open up to you guys about something that weighs hard, on my heart tonight, that no one could take that from me. No one could possibly take that sin from me. And the bitterness and the hate that my ex felt towards me, she had every right to feel that way about me and the man who I had become. 
But I knew in that moment that I needed someone to rescue me. I needed someone who was perfect in every way that did not have that debt to take my place. Even when I was an enemy of Christ Jesus, when I was spitting in his face, he forgave me. He forgave me of everything I have ever done, past, present, future. The check has already been paid. And do we believe that? Do we truly believe that about ourselves? Are we stuck in the harness of pain? Are we stuck in the harness of bitterness towards someone who maybe, who maybe has ruined our lives? Christ says, pray for your enemy. Pray for them. How am I supposed to pray for them if I haven't forgiven them in my own heart? That's the forgiveness which Christ calls us to do. Lastly, I think about the intentionality behind Jesus' forgiveness. When the Roman soldiers who whipped Jesus until he was completely unrecognizable and then nailed him to the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We need to stop wearing the harness. We have to lay it at the foot of the cross and we have to be intentional about our forgiveness, asking for forgiveness and and being able to forgive ourselves because Christ has already forgiven you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this message on forgiveness because for I know I need it. We all need it, Lord. In every area of our lives, Lord God, in ways that we haven't given up these pains, these things, these traumas, these things that have happened to us. And we're holding on to the harness of bitterness and hate. And yet you came to die for my bitterness, for my hate. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to be here in this place tonight to remind us of who we are in you instead of who we see ourselves. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our trespasses as we lay them at the foot of the cross knowing that you are able, the Holy Spirit, to move in our lives to know you more deeply. Thank you, Father. Thank you for these people, for this community. We pray together, Lord God, tonight that we would seek you and pursue you in every way. In your name, amen.